Welcome to the Unapologetic Truths Podcast with your hosts, Armani Talks and Life Math Money. If you're new to this podcast and you're listening from YouTube, go on and drop that like for us on your way in. Be sure to hit that subscribe. We're going to be re- releasing the future episodes on this new channel. So go on and help us grow. Let's get started with today's episode. How are you, Harsh? I'm doing well, Arman. How are you? I'm doing great. So today was your last day of the 5 a.m. challenge? Yes, the last day. We did a 30-day challenge, and today was the 30th day. And I'm really, really glad it's done because I was working so much in those 30 days that I wasn't really sleeping for eight hours, right? So on many days, I was sleeping like four hours, five hours, and it really wasn't the ideal period to do a 5 a.m. challenge because when you do a 5 a.m. challenge, you would ideally want to have time to sleep at nine. But I was really busy, right? I was working on teacherselfcrypto.com. We released the verified certificate system. And this means that I was sleeping at like one. So, <laughs> so it wasn't just the most four hours sleep? I was waking up at five and then sleeping three hours in the afternoon. Three hours for your naps? Yeah, for your nap. Just to catch up on sleep, you know, because when you're sleeping at one and waking up at five, you're only sleeping four hours, but your body needs more sleep. So I was sleeping like somewhere between three to six-ish in the afternoon. So what's your overall feedback regarding all of this? Do you think the 5 a.m. challenge is something that you're going to do again in the future? Did you like the whole 5 a.m.? If you didn't have such a strong workload? It works. The 5 a.m. challenge works. The big issue is just that if you have a lot of work that you typically do later in the day for whatever reason. For example, I typically work have to work a bit late because I'm in India and everyone else that I'm working with is not in India, they're in the US. So, you know, there's a time zone clash. So I will usually be doing meetings or calls, whatever, until, say, 12 o'clock. So if you don't have that issue, then waking up at 5 works really, really well. But otherwise, I think 7 is a good time to wake up. 7-ish. I mean, I wake up middle of that at 6. I mean, after doing a challenge like this for so long, doesn't your body just default to waking up early at this point? It does, but the issue is what I mentioned, right? Even though I can wake up at five, I'm not fully rested because I haven't slept enough. Mm-hmm. And you're so not to too much f- of a coffee guy? No, I don't really drink coffee as much. I drink like mm-hmm. one or two cups a month. I used to drink way, way more coffee, but I just don't like it as much nowadays. Tea? Nope. None of that. Soda? Nah. <laughs> You're like every parent's ultimate dream child. You don't drink <laughs> coffee. You don't smoke. You don't drink. Such a good guy. You work out. I have water and I really like mango milkshakes. I don't know if you have it in the US. Like but it's called Amras. Is it like mango lache? I don't know what that is. Can you let me Google that? Really? I thought mango lache was a. I thought it originated in India. Can you spell it? Uh, like mango, then L-A-S-S-I, I believe. Oh, how are you pronouncing that? Mango Lachi. 
Oh, oh you say lassi. Oh, okay, okay. Oh no, I mean, I don't mean lassi. I mean amras, which is like, you know, the entire mango. It's been pureed, mixed with some milk, and that's it. So let me just send you a picture of amras. Okay. Mango is like the go-to fruit in India, right? I love mangoes. They're yeah. the best thing ever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You and so my I brother would get along. Picture in the chat that is Amras. Ooh, this looks good. Yeah, I mean, I love do, this stuff. It, it's how do you really, eat it? Really is you it like a dessert? It. Oh, it's a drink. Oh, it looks like kind of looks like dal. No, it's just mangoes mixed with um, milk. Mm-hmm. See the other photo I sent you. You'll recognize this. So it's like a mango milkshake. But no sugar in it. Okay, so this looks pretty similar to lassi that I'm talking about. Yeah, so this has whole milk though. Lassi doesn't have whole milk. Lassi is just... With yogurt. I think the yogurt has been removed and what's left is lassi. Mm. I don't know that much about lassi because I don't like it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so I haven't really looked into how it's made. But it's yeah. not, I don't find it to be very good in taste. What? We can't be friends anymore, man. The lassi that you're having in packets is not real lassi, though. That has been, like, flavored, and that tastes way different than actual lassi. Okay, so I don't have it in packets, but if I go to a restaurant, I'll just order it there, and they'll bring it in a It must be flavored. Then you don't really taste the lassi. I mean, like, raw lassi that hasn't been, like... They haven't added any masalas or, you know, flavoring to the lassi. Like, just the raw milk lassi. Mm -hmm. I don't like the taste of that. Okay, so y- you like that thing you mentioned, but no sodas, no like, do you drink coconut water, that sort of stuff? Yeah, Nothing I have else, coconut really? water. I love coconut water. Like, I have like one every day. Really? Yeah, I have I'm, a guy who comes and delivers it to my house. I mean, is it good for you or do you just like the taste? I think it's good for you because it's like a natural drink and the taste is very good. So. Mm-hmm. There are no disadvantages to drinking coconut water. Did you um, ever put like the coconut oil in your hair? As a kid, yes. As an adult, no. Yeah, I mean, because it, it just has that strong smell. And I was always curious, like, can I eat that? You can. You can cook in coconut oil. Although, from what I've heard, most coconut oil that you get in the market today usually contain a fuck ton of paraffin so it isn't really good for you unless you're really sure that it is real coconut oil Mm -hmm. what about you arman what do you like drinking so let me think if i'm gonna drink soda it has to be either sprite or mountain dew um other than that i don't really really drink too much soda uh water and I'm a coffee guy, man. I mean, I prefer the caffeine pills every now and then, but <laughs> I, I, I like coffee as well. I can't see myself I like completely getting rid of coffee. There was mm-hmm. a period where I was on a coffee fast. And uh, sometimes, you know, when someone is like weaning themselves off of something, they're like, oh my goodness, like I'm getting so much withdrawals and stuff. I felt that in the beginning stages, but it wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, 
the only reason I added it back on was because I felt like the pros didn't really outweigh the cons of coffee. I didn't see coffee being like something that was destructing my life in any way. Uh, so I, I'll just drink two cups or just take uh, one half of a caffeine pill in a day and I'm good to go. I'm not sure if there are any real cons to coffee, except for the fact that you end up becoming tolerant to it in the sense that let's say you drink a cup a day. So after a month or so, what will happen to you is that you will need the cup just for baseline performance. So your body will adjust to the coffee, if you know Mm -hmm. what I mean. Right. Like before you'll need like two to get like, you know, caffeinated, but now you need four. Yes, but if you are used to drinking two, you will need the two coffees just to perform at the level that you used to perform at when you were not drinking. Mm. So you don't even take coffee during the gym? When I have a really, really heavy workout, I might have a glass of like black coffee right before the workout, just as a pre-workout. Okay. Other than that, like it's a just heavy water. workout on a day I'm, I haven't eaten enough or something and I could use the boost, then I will have it as just before a workout, like 15, 20 minutes before. Mm. And it really helps getting the heavy lifts in. Mm-hmm. It works. Like coffee as a performance enhancing thing works. The only thing is that if you drink it every day, then your body becomes used to it and then it's no longer about performance enhancement. Then it's just about performing at baseline, but you need the caffeine too. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff, Harsh, are just habits uh, and it's cultural stuff. Like if I'm going to go have a business meeting, often I'll just say, let's meet at a Starbucks. And if I go to Starbucks, I mean, what am I going to do? I know me grab coffee. So I wonder how much of a factor that is as well. Where... People who are like uh, eliminating drinking for the first time, they often report that one of the hardest parts of removing drinking is the social aspect of it. Because a lot of the times when they're going with their friends outside, you know, they go to a bar and stuff. And if they're the only one who's not drinking, often their friends are like, wait, what? Like they're the ones giving the peer pressure. So I wonder how much of it is like a cultural thing where people are getting invested in certain habits and ideas for coffee i'm not sure if it's just cultural because it does provide you a boost early on right Mm -hmm. let's say you're like really sleepy you drink a coffee and then you're good the only thing is that by the time you're used to drinking coffee you need the coffee so i'm not sure if it's a cultural thing per se but yeah I, i do agree with you that Meeting for coffee or, you know, going and going out to a restaurant or whatever just for a coffee is not an Indian thing. It's mostly a Western thing. So if you wanted to do like a business meeting with someone, where would be your go-to place to invite them? At my office. Oh, you have an office? Yeah. Like, because I, I, nowadays what's happening with a lot of entrepreneurs is that they're renting out offices in these big buildings. So where I live, there's like this huge building with uh, a bunch of different floors where there's tons of entrepreneurs that rent out space. Uh, are those the kind of offices you're talking about or like a home office? 
I have a dedicated office sometimes that I use. So okay, it's just so. my office, no one else's. Now, hypothetically, let's say you didn't have an office. Is there like in the Indian culture, at least um, another place that people go to do these meetings? If you have to, like you can meet anywhere, right? But mm-hmm. depending on how much silence you need, you might prefer to meet in the car, let's say, if you need privacy. In a car? <laughs> if you need privacy, then a car <laughs> is a great option. Is this a Especially business meeting or something else? Something like strictly legal, then yeah, a car is a great option because <laughs> it's very, very private. Otherwise, you know, if it's like a regular conversation meeting, it could be over lunch or dinner or even like over coffee. But that is something that's more of a Western thing, right? Like it's only starting to happen nowadays here because of COVID. But yeah, before that, it used to just be in offices. Like you would rarely hear of a businessman wanting to meet you somewhere in like a bar or somewhere like that. Never happened to me. Well, the reason, Harsh, I think it's good, in my opinion, is because it takes away that element of, hey, I'm trying to sell you on something. Uh, there was this one time I had this guy who wanted to start a YouTube channel. Uh, he taught women self-defense. And he was just like, you know, I want to do YouTube, but I'm really nervous. I don't know if I have anything to say. And we ended up meeting up for coffee at Starbucks. And just the whole vibe was different because there were other people in, in the area. They were all chit-chatting. Me and him, um, we were talking. It was an informal atmosphere versus versus like business as usual. And he pretty much sold himself. So I wonder if that's one of the reasons why like coffee business meetings are becoming more popular nowadays. I think the reason why coffee business meetings are more popular is because you don't want to eat every time you meet, right? So, for example, right. if you have three meetings, are you going to have three times lunch? No. Nah. So, <laughs> you got to drink something. <laughs> and I think that's where the whole coffee culture comes in, where you can drink something, it's not super filling, and you can have your meeting. And that's how they're charging, right? People don't go to coffee places just to sit alone by themselves because it's expensive. Mm. And I think it also depends on the business. Like for me, if I'm trying to get a client, like me going to a coffee meeting is like whatever. But my real estate buddies, they're if they're trying to get a close, they finalize the close in like the cheesecake factory or a steakhouse, just so it gives that like that more polished vibe. So I think it also depends on the business cheesecake transaction. Cheesecake factory. Yeah, you never heard of cheesecake factory? No. Oh my. Goodness, man. Is it a factory? That, that, well, okay. So they, the cool part is that they do have a factory where they make cheesecakes, but they also have another side where you could eat food. Like they have like really good salads, um, steak, chicken, pasta, and it's a pretty renowned place in the U.S. I don't know if it's a global thing. I'm gonna have to check on that. I have never even heard of this, so unlikely it's a global thing. <laughs> you never heard of the Cheesecake Factory? That's no. crazy. Let me. I'm, I'm actually curious. Have you heard of Applebee's? Red Lobster? No. Okay, well, it writes, uh, the Cheesecake Factory Incorporated is an American restaurant company uh, and a distributor of cheesecakes based in the United States. So I'm thinking it's just a U.S. thing. But 
I it totally makes sense that real estate agents would want to you know sign the deal where people are eating real food. Mm-hmm. Seems more posh, right, for a big deal. Right, right. In India, though, this stuff is usually done in offices. Like the real estate agent will have his own office, mm-hmm. or they'll come to your house or things like that. Like stuff like this is preferred not to be done in public. Okay, so it's more of a formal atmosphere over there. You can say that, yes. Yeah, um, and I can see that as well. So, um, and is it normal for most business owners to have an office? It used to be before COVID. Nowadays, mm-hmm. it's a toss because after COVID, a lot of people have moved to the whole work from home system, mm-hmm. and you come across more and more people who are saying that okay we are going to execute this project from our homes so yeah it's not uncommon to have an office like most businesses still have offices but some businesses have moved to a remote business setup how is gotcha. it in the US so do you guys typically do your business meetings in say coffee shops Yeah, so for like since I've been in business, I mean, it's either a coffee shop or Panera Bread. Have you heard of Panera Bread before? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Panera Bread is global, but don't quote me on that. Um and for them, they sell like very light food, like macaroni and cheese salad. So it's easy to build rapport with someone there and see if you want to work with them further. Uh but most of the clients that i have in the tampa bay region harsh mm. normally we're meeting up in a coffee shop nowadays and it's so much different because like the prior generation they'll tell me they're like oh, and uh young man this is new for me like no one's ever asked me to a coffee shop for a business meeting but i see this being the future because i mean there's not much commitment either you know sometimes you don't know if you want to work with someone and you're just getting a a feel for them D- does um the life mat money brand offer consultations no i do not did you ever think about it i keep getting pitched this idea to do consultations but one i just don't have time for it and two even if i had time i would not sell it mhm As a matter of principle, I don't do consultations. Like I'm not completely opposed to doing it if the right opportunity comes along where I feel like I can learn a lot. But it's something that I'm not really interested in. Mhm. What about you? Do you do consultations? Yeah, so harsh. In 2019 when like I started my business it was mainly a consulting business where i would work uh, on picking up clients and you know working with them and i mean to run a consulting business you need a lot of processes and systems in place like with any other business but since i was a newbie i didn't know much about it and there was a period where i was making a lot of money but i felt miserable man because i had um you know clients from all parts of the us and it just didn't it wasn't something that i liked doing i didn't wake up in the morning and i'm like jeez i want to consult today um so as more time started to go on by i started to 
shifted where I still offer consulting today, but I'm much more pickier with my clients. Um, I think you were just saying that, you know, you want to learn something. And that's personally for me as well. Like if I'm going to work with a client, I want to make sure that they can teach me something as well. So nowadays, like most of my clients are roughly around 40 to 50. They're introverted entrepreneurs, CEOs, marketing directors that want to get better in front of the camera, start a podcast. And after our call is done, they're often giving me advice on what it's like to be a CEO, what they do in their day-to-day activities, and they end up becoming friends. So I think I think like that's the better strategy for me, where I'm not just a consulting company now, but I have it in my umbrella within the Armani Talks brand. Makes sense. So if you don't mind me asking, what exactly is encompassed by the Armani Talks brand? Because this is all you're doing right now, correct? If I'm not wrong, you're not working your job anymore. Right. So I have consulting. I have mm-hmm. um, ad revenue. I have uh, books, classes, audiobooks. Um, I have products. And there's um, within audiobooks and books in itself, like there's an umbrella of different places you can submit your books to. So mm-hmm. I have income from Drafted Digital and Google Books as well. Um, and there's some donations as well that comes in. Um, overall, I would say it's, eight to 10 income streams under the Armani Talks uh, business model. Which one is the real breakthrough though that you really care about that you want to build this year, next year? Um, so for me personally, I the thing I enjoy the most is writing the books and building the audiobook library. It's very difficult for me to say like which one exactly because they're, they're all different. Right? They're all interlinked. That's the biggest part. Um, so yeah, it's it's a little difficult for me to answer that. I would just say that it's all interlinked. Um, and uh, right now, though, what I'm liking a lot is uh, the Amazon and the audiobooks, those two. What about you for your business? You have Teach Yourself Crypto. You have uh, your products. Uh, anything else? So for life math money, right? The main yes. income streams are well selling the LMM ebooks, right? Live intentionally and the art of Twitter. Then the Strongland Publishing product, which is the IM audiobook, etc., the book of book. Then the other income streams are affiliate marketing, like you know, recommending other products that I really like, use software sales, etc. Then outside of life math money, I have affiliate marketing as a separate business, which is doing really well. And recently, I started Teacher Self Crypto with two other friends, and that's also doing reasonably well. We've sold almost five, six hundred certificates so far. Nice. In like a month. So that's doing really, really well. We're still building the company more, though. TeacherSelfCrypto.com is the name for people interested in going there. And in the future, it's going to be the best. Well, it is still the best, but it's going to be even better crypto course on the internet and it's completely free if you want a certificate it's like 20 bucks you can pay for it and get it and would you say like 
you enjoy doing that a lot. Like you, I recall you saying that it started off as a passion project and it grew into a business. Do you still view it like that? So when it started, it was just supposed to be, you know, I want to learn about crypto and how do I learn about crypto? So I'm learning about crypto from the net. And what happens is that I'm picking up information in bits and pieces, right? I'm watching one YouTube video here, one there, and it's not structured. And I thought it would be really cool if I make a course that's structured that other people can use. And in the process of making this course, I myself will learn learn about crypto. So it was supposed to be a project to teach me about crypto. Hmm. But because people were liking it so much, like we had over 100,000 people take the course, I thought, hey, okay, so people love it. So we built out a lot of modules, right? We built the DeFi module, the Bitcoin module, the Ethereum module, the tokens and Web3 module, the privacy coins module. And then after more and more people were coming here, people kept asking me, okay, so I took the course. I would like to put it on my resume that I know about crypto now. How can I do so? And then I thought, okay, if people want it on their resume, we can give them a verified certificate. So we can take an exam and we can give them a verified certificate. And that's how teachyourselfcrypto.com became a business. Now you can take an exam and get a certificate, put it on your course. It's going to help you get jobs, get noticed. Your resume will be better, etc. So yeah, it was not supposed to be a business. It was supposed to be a course that taught me about crypto. But as things turned out, it became a business. <laughs> what what was the span like from it going from a, something that you're using to teach yourself to it turning into a business? So the couple course, of months to a couple of years. Like the idea for the course came to me in February 2021, right? So about 15 months ago. And in February 2002, we decided to make the exam system. So for the first entire year, it was just supposed to be a course, free course for everyone who wants to learn about crypto. And then in Feb 2022, people kept asking me, I, I would get like three emails a day of people asking me, I want this on my resume. So I think about three months ago, we decided to make the exam system and we launched it about 15 days ago. Nice. So would you say that I mean, I don't know if you have a way of measuring this, that Teacher Self Crypto has been responsible for getting people hired for jobs since they're putting it on their resume. I don't know about that yet because it's only been like 15 days since we launched, correct? However, we will find that out soon, maybe in a couple of months. I have de- like We've noticed that some people have already completed their certificate. Mm-hmm. So we'll find out in a year or so. These things take time, you know. Yeah, it takes some time to g- gather case studies. I mean, that would be a uh, like a lot of clout for your your course in general. Uh, since starting um, the like, you know, getting so involved in crypto, do you think there's any misconceptions that people have about crypto that you're like, uh, you got to really understand it to realize that you're thinking about crypto incorrectly? The biggest one I will say is that people think of crypto as some kind of investment vehicle, okay, where they think that Bitcoin, let's say, is like a stock. It's like 
a stock that you buy then you wait for the value of the stock to go up and then you sell it and a lot of the criticisms of bitcoin also come from this misunderstanding right where they say it's not backed by anything etc so they think of bitcoin as some type of investment stock and that is the biggest misconception of crypto in my opinion as an industry bitcoin is not a stock bitcoin is a currency it is not a company it's a currency and it is the best currency out there and i'll tell you why okay if you take any other currency like the indian rupee the us dollar everything which is centralized and when i say centralized i mean it's owned by a government these governments keep printing more and more and more and more and more money and what happens is that the value of these you know currencies keeps going down and down because the governments are inflating it so the money supply goes from 1 trillion to 50 trillion and the money that you have becomes 2% of what it used to be that's why you have things like inflation hyperinflation the supply of money keeps increasing because it's controlled by this one central entity and they don't really care about you they just need the money and they print more and this has been going on across history okay if you take the roman empire for example one of the reasons the roman empire fell is because they were just devaluing the currency so much that it basically became worth nothing so i think we can both agree that fiat currencies when they are centralized and the central entity is printing like infinite amounts of it it doesn't work out in the long run and we've had hundreds and thousands of examples in history a lot mm-hmm. of americans are not aware but before the us dollar they used to have like other currencies that didn't work like they used to have continental dollars continental dollars and that went to zero because they printed so much of it before the continental dollar every single state in the us would have their own printed currency and they all went to zero because they printed so much of it if you've heard the phrase not worth a continental that comes from this okay so i've established so far that fiat currencies when they are decentralized sorry when they're centralized and owned by this one entity it doesn't work out well so what is an alternative one alternative is like a currency that is inherently scarce like gold so if a country was using say gold as its currency then the government can't inflate gold they can't print more gold so gold is a good system of money you could say but there are issues with gold where you can't transport it quickly over long distances like to to take a lot of gold from india to the us you would have to take it by ship which could take weeks or months i don't know how long it takes but it takes a fucking long time so gold would not work in today's world because of these things and fiat currencies don't work for the reason that the governments can't be trusted and they have historically shown that and even today more than half the money in the us was printed in the last 2 3 years so how about we have a currency that is not controlled by anyone that has limited supply and that can easily be transferred from one place to another that currency is bitcoin there are only 21 million bitcoin mm-hmm. there is no central entity that controls bitcoin 
and you can transfer it easily from any place in the world to any other place in the world via the blockchain you could say like i'm oversimplifying a little bit here but as long as you have internet and i have internet i can transfer you blockchains directly sorry crypto directly without using a bank so that is what makes it the most valuable and the best currency in the world because we have predictable supply everyone knows the rules of the network and no single player can just mess up the network like how the us government is printing unlimited amounts of cash so as a currency and not as a stock bitcoin is really the best currency in the market and to answer your question a lot of people don't get this they don't understand that bitcoin is a currency it is not a stock it is not a share it is not a debenture it's a currency and it is limited in supply limited in supply and it can be transferred anywhere across the world and of course people trust this currency people are using it more and more and more as time goes on so that is where the value of bitcoin comes in where it's really just how many people are trusting this to be real currency so you're basically saying that you know bitcoin is predominantly meant to be used as a currency but as a late a lot of people are using it as some sort of investment vehicle but that's not the correct way to mainly perceive it exactly so bitcoin is supposed to be a peer to peer system of electronic cash right and not a stock where you invest your usd in and you wait for it to blow up and then you sell it i mean people do that nowadays but it isn't the intended purpose of bitcoin bitcoin is supposed to be currency and that is its real purpose it's supposed to be a store of value and a currency for ex- as a medium of exchange what about all these other coins that are coming out do do you see them being used as stocks i think the average person sees them all as stocks <laughs> and they just invest like people are buying dogecoin which is pretty much something only an idiot would do but because people see them all as stocks Dogecoin has some value. <laughs> but there are other useful currencies as well. Like Ethereum is very very useful for smart contracts. And Ethereum at some point in the future will essentially replace the banking system with DeFi. Like you can And think it, of DeFi as the entire banking system, lending money, borrowing money, everything, you know, derivatives, but completely trustless and you don't need banks. So And Ethereum can it be used as a currency too or is it mainly for smart contra- contracts? All blockchains have currencies. If a blockchain doesn't have a currency then it's not I would not call it like a real blockchain because what do you like how do you you know what is the system then to incentivize people to do or not do certain things? So Ethereum can itself be used as a currency too like I can send you ETH you can pay me in ETH. but it isn't intended as a currency in the sense that it doesn't have predictable supply in a way and it i'm i'm trying to think of the right words for this it's not the optimal choice for currency like bitcoin as a currency is better like it has it's just currency right like if i had to make a comparison Ethereum is like a smartphone and Bitcoin is like a calculator. So Bitcoin is more convenient and a better thing to use for calculations 
than a smartphone is. Mm-hmm. So now, you, you can recommend- use Ethereum as currency, but Bitcoin is a better system of currency than Ethereum because Bitcoin was made keeping this thing in mind, right? Bitcoin rarely changes. It's very, very backward compatible and everything like that. It's it's a very stable system that doesn't change as much versus with Ethereum, it changes all the time. So in the future, there might be an update which changes the system a lot and the value of Ethereum might fluctuate. So it's not like the value when I say the cap, you know, how much Ethereum is in the market, those numbers might change. So ETH, I would not say is as great as a system of money than Bitcoin is. So the average person, let's just say like a guy, I mean, you're explaining everything simply, but let's say they're even more average or they're like, I, I still don't get it. I have a thousand dollars. What do I do now? Um, so would this person be someone that if they're thinking about getting into crypto, they put the money in and they're not just checking it all the time. They should adopt a long-term thinking for this crypto. But Arman, you don't get it, right? When, you, when you're asking that question, you're essentially asking from an investment perspective where you're asking, well, where should I invest my money? I have $1,000. I want to increase them to $20,000. Where do I put my money? Mm-hmm. That's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I get it. It's a predominant currency. What I'm telling you is that you will not have to sell the Bitcoin in the future. Let's say you spend your $1,000 to buy one by 30th of a Bitcoin. 20 years from now, you will not need to switch back to USD. That's what I'm telling you. And do you see any other types of currency like with Bitcoin-like features coming out? Or do you think Bitcoin is going to be the king? It's hard to say for sure. I like Monero quite a lot. It has better privacy features than Bitcoin. So it could be a real competitor. I don't know for sure. No one does. Mm -hmm. But it's a good hedge because the only big, I would say, issue I see with Bitcoin is that the ledger is transparent. So you have issues like, let me give you a real example, okay? So in Canada, there were a few protests happening and these protesters, they were doing this truck protest against COVID and they were accepting donations in Bitcoin. And a lot of people donated Bitcoin to their UTXO and the Canadian government is very tyrannical. So they brutally suppressed this protest and the protesters were like walked over by the horses, etc. So they were very brutal. It was like China system in Canada, which is apparently the thing now. So the the Canadian government said that this UTXO of these guys, you know, these protesters, can't be on any exchange. So if you send Bitcoin from those UTXOs to the exchange, your account will get blocked. And yeah, so people have to use these mixing services like CoinJoin. And what happens, like what a, what a CoinJoin does is that it takes these UTXOs and then combines them together. The issue is that because the ledger is completely public, you can tell who was using CoinJoin. And what a lot of exchanges do is that they bar everyone who used CoinJoin. So if you use if your coin has a history of being used in a CoinJoin transaction, 
and then you deposit it in an exchange the exchange might simply just take your bitcoin and say that this is illegal coins we can't like to give it back to you until you like give us proof of how you got it etc so that's the biggest issue i see with bitcoin that i think is quite to a significant extent solved by monero so i think i don't know in 20 years if bitcoin is the only one that will be around as a system of money i do think that there are issues with privacy in bitcoin today which could be solved either by monero or by the lightning network or maybe an update to the bitcoin network itself i don't know but yeah i have all three of them <laughs> you got all three just be safe just to be safe yes yeah no no the, the reason i'm asking a lot of this stuff is because i mean you're right about that where a lot of people are using it more so as an investment vehicle versus a currency and you know i don't really get involved too much in the conversations but i hear like you know typically like if i'm in public people talking about like oh if you want to you know invest in something invest in like this coin that coin uh but you're saying like just to view it more as a currency get rid of the thinking of investing for the time being yes so you can't really invest in bitcoin because i mean you can but in 20 years this will be the normal currency that people use for everything right you will buy my ebooks in bitcoin you will buy your groceries in crypto and you will get paid in crypto your job will or your job will your employer will pay you in crypto and the usd the indian rupee all of these things will be relics no one will care no one will know what these things were just like how we don't know what a continental dollar was and we no don't remember using gold coins to make things right these things will be history people mm-hmm. in the past were doing it and they were savages they were not as smart as us we use bitcoin type of stuff because for a kid for a kid who was born today bitcoin is as good as a million years old because it existed before he was born yeah isn't it crazy how money is just i mean like when's the last time you held a couple of dollar bills every day okay no cuz for me personally like i don't really carry dollar bills like that anymore i like um in tampa there's a lot of homeless people <laughs> around the area like sir would you mind giving me a couple of dollars i'm like bro man i only carry a credit card on me i want to help you but i don't have dollars like that and See, nowadays seeing that eventually the homeless guy will get a machine to read the card <laughs> yeah we accept credit card <laughs> dude the craziest thing happened yesterday so i'm about i'm driving on the road right and there's normally a homeless guy who's very calm who stands on the sidewalk and when there's a red light on the road he starts walking on the street to go to different cars uh and asking them for money and he's normally super calm but yesterday uh, there was the car in front of me who's like no 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 i don't have any money and he starts having a meltdown like the homeless guy starts yelling at the guy he starts hitting on the guy's car and i'm like right behind him so i'm like oh man i hope he doesn't ask me for money cuz i don't have anything either um and this guy was just having this meltdown uh in front of me and it's crazy man the guy who was getting his car hidden he was very calm he was a older man i think he was at least 65 years old and he was empathizing with the homeless man and then the homeless man 
uh, stopped hitting the car. He went back to the sidewalk, and this guy just drove off. It was just a strange part of my day. I don't know if you've, like, can you imagine what I'm trying to say right now? Sort of. Was the guy drunk? I don't know, man. I've seen him plenty of times. If you live in the, like, the Tampa Bay area, like, there's certain homeless people that, like, you'll recognize their faces because they have certain locations. Um, this homeless guy has one particular sidewalk that I just associate him with. If you go three blocks down, it's a different homeless guy. I don't know if they coordinate this stuff. Like, hey, I don't come to my block. I, I collect money from here. I don't know if they have some sort of uh, decorum in regards to that. Uh, but it, it was strange seeing this guy that I've been seeing um, pretty much for the past year on the same road, just suddenly having a, a breakdown like that. You know, what you're talking about actually exists in India, where the beggars will have their own system of which area which beggars are allowed to be in. So if a group of beggars start begging in a different area, mm-hmm. the, the beggars that originally owned that area will be these guys back to the previous location. <laughs> um, like you, and this you is heard... not a joke. This is real. This is a real thing where if you are a beggar, let's say, you will have your area that is like you've been begging at for a long time. And if you like start going and begging at someone else's area, they might actually kick you out. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's against decorum. And drug dealers often do that, where they'll be like, hey, this is my block. You don't sell drugs on my block. And what happens is every now and then a drug dealer will get caught by the cops. They'll get sentenced to jail or prison for, let's say, a couple of months to a couple of years. Then they come back trying to reclaim their block. And someone younger now claimed that block. And then there's that like that power struggle between the, between the two. Mm-hmm. And whoever's stronger wins out. So it's like your prime real estate. I'm pretty sure these homeless guys talk about stuff like that, Um, especially if there's a new homeless guy trying to beg in their area. I'm pretty sure they'll kick him out because there are certain hotspots in Tampa where uh, people are more affluent and they're more than willing to give um, money. And I think if you're like a seasoned homeless guy, like you've been in the game for some time, I think you have the right to that block. I'm, I'm insinuating, of course, but that's what I'm thinking. I don't you, know, Arman. I feel like a lot of these homeless people, if you have both your arms and your legs, you should be working, not begging. And I think that the people who are giving them money are kind of incentivizing this behavior. So. Do you do you ever give money to homeless people? Only the really old ones. Like if someone is like very old, then I'll give them some money because they can't work, right? Mm-hmm. And if I don't give them money, then they might actually die of hunger. Like they're usually really frail. But the ones that I look fit to me, I don't give them any money. And the children, I don't give them any money. Oh, you don't give the kids money either? No, because... You know, if the kid is making a lot of money from bagging, then his parents will not send him to school because the kid can make more money bagging. So I would rather have these kids make no money so their parents are like, okay, so let me just send him to school because school is free. Now that I think about it, like in the US, I've never seen a kid homeless uh, beggar before. 
most of the beggars are around like 35 to 65. India has a lot of children who are beggars and they're typically the children of these beggars who live on the street. So in their free time, they will also do begging. But I think giving them money is just stupid. You're hurting them more than you're helping them. Because in mm-hmm. India, food is like free. You can eat. Like if, you gi- if the kid goes to school, school is free and the food that you get at school is also free. The big reason why these kids are begging is because begging makes more money than going to school. Because when the kid goes to school, he makes no money. When he's begging, he might actually get some rupees from people. Mm-hmm. Especially foreigners who are more sympathetic. So, I think giving these kids money is like destroying their future in a way. In the sense, any charity that doesn't really help the guy become independent of depending on charity typically is a mistake. Because it's like feeding a hungry guy, but not teaching him how to hunt like the guy will be hungry again tomorrow you just postpone the inevitable right you haven't solved the problem it's just delaying it yeah i'm thinking this one through right now i mean for the most part i don't give money to the homeless mainly because i'm not carrying cash but if i do have cash i mean if it's a dollar or two i don't mind too much but if i do know certain people like who has money like that that'll give them hundred dollar bills um i'm trying to think if i had a hundred dollar bills on me and i had a lot of it am i going to give it to them because i do see your case where you're just saying you're just you're just basically encouraging them more yeah i mean if you want to like if you have a hundred dollars and you want to like give it to someone give it to some like really small business owner because at least he's trying to do something or like give it to some worker like a plumber or someone who like could use the money because they're actually providing a service and doing something productive in the world not just lying down on the street and expecting you to pay for them mm-hmm. um one of the co-founders of Netflix uh, Mark Randolph um I was reading his book recently and he was talking about this one time where he was a boy scout and um his entire group was like put in a forest for a couple of days to a couple of weeks up until they could uh, collect a certain amount of money to get out i don't recall like the details of the story all i recall is that at a certain point um this mark guy didn't have um any food he didn't eat for i would say like a day or two and what he started to do was he started to go around begging people for money and he would start to read facial gestures very astutely. He could tell like who would give him money, who wouldn't give him money, and eventually learned how to get over rejection. So he told that story of his childhood uh, begging for money because later on, um, he was now starting Netflix and he needed to get investors on board. But back then, <laughs> it was hilarious him drawing the parallel because no one really believed in Netflix. We were like, that'll never work. And that's the name of the book, by the way. Anyone who's curious, it's called That Will Never Work. And um, so when he was over here trying to find investors, a lot of people were like, that's not going to work. And he went back into that begging mode where he would he would try to see their facial gestures 
and he will say a remark right before they can create an objection. And he was saying that, you know, if you have a very bold business idea and you're trying to get investors on board, in some ways, it's sort of like begging. You could say that. You could say that. Although it really depends on how you approach it, you know. For example, if you take pick up, okay, let me give you like an example that other people can also understand who haven't been in the investment industry. So let's take pick up, okay? You could say that going and asking a chick out is like begging, but is it like begging? Not really, right? No, no, especially if you have some strategies. If you have your own value, then these guys need you more. But imagine this, Harsh. Imagine in um, 1997, where you don't, I mean, setting up a website even, like you need coders, you need teams. Um, initially, Netflix wasn't even offering streaming. They were doing DVD by mail. So you're going up to these people and they're just like, what is this? It's kind of like with your pickup example, like you smell like shit. You have a mustard stain t-shirt on, like dirty khaki pants. And you're going up to one of the hottest girls in the bar. And you're like, would you like to go on a date? That's the sort of dynamic that Netflix was framing. It's a great book, by the way, because it teaches you how an idea can turn into something massive. Have you heard of Blockbuster by any chance? I have actually. Blockbuster is this one that got went bankrupt, right? They never mm-hmm. did the bridge between physical to internet. Right. And for most people that were born in the 90s, a big part of their childhood was Blockbusters, where we'd go to a Blockbuster, we'll get a movie, and if you were even like a day or two late, their late fees were high as hell. Um, so it was just a big part of our childhoods. And um, there was a period where Netflix went up to Blockbuster and was like, we'll let you buy us out for such, such and such money. And apparently the Blockbuster people like laughed them out of the building. Like, no, of course not. That's never going to work. And it just shows you like in the business world, you always got to be open to ideas because you never know like when there's going to be a new feature that just comes out of nowhere. Like, the whole concept of streaming wasn't even a thing back in the days. And in 97, when Netflix was starting, most people didn't even have DVD players. Uh, they used to use uh, VHS. So for the listeners listening right now, um, I don't know when you guys were born, but if you guys were born in 2000s, you guys may not even know what uh, the VCR is. Do you know what the VCR is, Harsh? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, you're not that young. Have you ever burned a CD, man? Yeah, man, that was my first ever business. Oh, I what? Was, really? I, I was, I think I was, um, I was in high school. And um, see, whenever I would go to Bangladesh, I would get so many different CDs for cheap um, because $1 was like 60 taka back then. And I would bring all those CDs back to the US. And my friends were like, Hey man, you have so many CDs. By any chance, can you uh, get me this, this, and this song, and put it on a CD? I'll pay you. I was like, "You'll pay me? Uh, okay." Uh, so I, I eventually started to, you know, uh, get orders, and I would uh, sell each CD for seven dollars a pop. Eventually, more people started to learn about this, and they started to pair up, and <laughs> they would charge five dollars. Um, so I was too shy back then. I didn't want to find a partner or anything. 
So I was mm-hmm. just like, okay, I'm, I'm, my business is now run to the ground. But it was a good experience, man. Burning CDs. Ah, uh, I see, I see. So you were in the piracy game. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing back then. I'm um, in jail tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, folks, I was like 12 back then, so. <laughs> Legal age in the US, 12. <laughs> Did you ever hear of LimeWire? I've heard of it. It was like a pre-torrenting site, right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever use it? No. Okay. I used uTorrent a lot, but Torrent and uTorrent back like when I was 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. But never used LimeWire. Never even used Napster and things like that. I was I was too young for... I was too young. In the sense, I was born too late for that stuff, I think. You, you, you bought your CD. Well, you don't even... You did you listen to music? I think we talked that you don't listen to music, right? I do listen to music nowadays because I'm learning how to sing. But back in the day, I would rarely listen to music. You're learning Although to sing. I did sing. have phases where I would like listen to a lot of music, but then I would like cut it out completely. Wait, wait, wait! You're, you're learning to sing. How's that going? And why are you It's doing that? It's going really well. I'm learning the scales and everything. So. You know how I told you right I got a vocal coach to help me like improve my English a bit more and my speaking skills because I'm not a natural English speaker I learned it later Mhm So she's also an opera singer and I was like okay why don't you teach me this as well like it'll really give me control over my voice So I've been learning the scale and singing a little bit So I can sing some very basic songs like Frere, Jacques, and you know, like the nursery rhymes. I can sing the scale, the melodic scale, etc. How's that been? I mean, is the experience what you were expecting, or are you learning anything new? It is a lot of fun in the sense that it's so away from my regular personality, you could say, because. I'm not someone who watches movies or listens to too much music or you know drinks etc right I'm typically mm-hmm. super focused on more productive things and singing was like so away from what I would normally <laughs> do that it's actually a lot of fun it's very contrasting with my regular personality you could say but I do think you... that the more you learn things that the more skill sets you have and the more diverse they are the more better you are as a person Do so, any of your friends know you're singing? Not but I don't sing that well or anything right now, right? I'm just like doing the scale. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the ear training currently, which is supposed to take like a year or so. So we, we can't expect like a studio album from you in any time in the future. Stay <laughs> in 2020. I would actually like to do that and I think that it's a part of the plan you could say mm-hmm. because if you take music today What is the biggest issue with music in 2022? Almost all the songs are either about love, sex, money, drinking or drugs. You mm-hmm. read you almost have zero songs about masculinity, productivity, being strong, etc., right? You have no positive songs. And when you go back to history, you find that most songs are positive, like they're telling you things like you know don't Don't waver your attention. At least, like the ones in Hinduism that we have, our traditional songs are not bullshit, simpy songs, right? They are the songs have a message. So mm-hmm. I would like to bring that back. I would like to, in the future, when I learn how to sing properly, 
I would like to learn and I would like to sing songs that are helping men become stronger, more focused and actually have a useful message in the song. And they will be called strong music in the future. Whoa, okay. So you you've been, you know, planning this out. Like you you're really investing in this skill set. It's a useful skill set. Are you learning any instruments along with singing? No, 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 no. I don't have time for that. Okay, okay. See, I I used to learn the ukulele before. Um, do you know what that is? The really tiny guitar? I have heard of it. I've heard it's very loud and annoying, but I have not used it. So it could be loud and annoying, or you could play uh, great music with it. Where, you know, learning an actual guitar, you're going to have to invest in it. It's going to take some time. But a ukulele is something that even a working professional can, you know, learn. And some of the music that I hear the ukulele produce, I'm thinking, whoa, like that, that actually sounds very good. So I was investing in this in 2017 and I was learning. I don't know what, ha- I think I lost the ukulele. That's what happened. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you did find you yourself singing as a kid? Did I learn singing? Like some schools teach it, right? Well, I had to, I was in like this play where I had to sing when I was in the second grade. I didn't like it too much. I've heard that in the West, especially in Catholic schools, they teach you how to sing. So did you have the same experience? No, I learned it in the second grade because in our, um, you're right about that. Like in Catholic schools, I I do know they make you sing. Um, But even in like public schools, what happens for a lot of uh, the younger classes is that you have one final play that you have to do at the end of the year. And some of the students will be actors. Some of the students will uh, sing. Some of the students will do like the behind the scenes stuff all to create this play. So I was one of the singers. But but for me, like I I wasn't singing by myself. I was like surrounded by like eight other kids. So I could be like completely fucking up (laughs) and no one would notice. Interesting. Do you guys have that? Like, I, I mean, when you were growing up, did you guys ever have to like create this class play at the end of the school year where you invite the parents and uh, family members to it? Yes, but I was never selected for all of that stuff for some or the other reason. I was never a very showy kid. Mm-hmm. I was never good at the play stuff as a kid. So around the 11th grade, Harsh, uh, there was a period where you know, my brother joined the drama club and he would stay after school uh, with this club. And I thought, well, my brother's staying after school. Like, uh, I want to stay after school too. So I joined the drama club as well. And in this club, um, this was in high school. So this is a couple of years later from what I was talking about earlier. Uh, I would interact with a lot of the, the actors, the actresses, like how the screenwriting process works. Um, me and my brother were the tech guys for like the lighting and all of that. But there's a lot of these different moving variables to like create a play that I wasn't aware of before. For some reason, I just thought like, oh, they just show up, they memorize some lines and they just do it. But it takes like four to five months to get a play like set up for the school. How big are these plays that you're talking about, man? Four to five months? Um, Some of the plays can go up for like an hour and a half. The reason it's four four and a half months harsh is because it's broken down into sections. So in the first month, you're auditioning. So 
there's a lot of these people that are coming. Uh, um, so you have to choose the right talent. For the second month, you're you know just doing the uh, the line reading to make sure that they're into the character, they understand which characters they're bringing to life. The third month, they're um, actually acting. And you know what happens. Like Some people forget their lines. They're lazy. Uh, you as the head honcho has to coordinate everything. And you're not just working with the actors. You got to make sure that the tech guys are getting the music right, getting the lighting right. All of this stuff matters because it's a, a play happens live. It's, it's different from a movie where you could edit out like the mess ups. But for a live play, if you mess up, like 300 people in the audience are going to notice it. So it requires a lot of practice, a lot of diligence. Um, so yeah, I mean like three, four months. Um, I guess you could knock it out in like a in like a month if it's a short play. But for like mm-hmm. a feature play, it, it takes some time. Have you ever enjoyed watching a play though? Because I feel like a lot of these parents are forced to watch it because their kid is in it. But it seems so, like something that would be really boring to actually watch. Uh, I gotta disagree, man. I mean, for the little kid plays, yeah, I mean, that is not entertaining. Uh, but for the plays I did in high school, man, I liked it more than movies. Uh, we did one on the Scrooge. Uh, you know who I'm talking about? This. Oh, let me just see. Like, there's this famous Christmas story of, like, the Scrooge, uh, who's, like, a very wealthy man but doesn't have any friends. And, you know, he's visited by different ghosts where... I don't want to explain the whole thing. I think people understand what I'm talking about. That play, seeing it live is amazing. And one of my really good friends was like the lead actor and seeing him up close, I was like, whoa, like this actually requires a lot of energy. Like you got to be focused. You got to have strong concentration skills. Um, I think it's really entertaining, man. And I, I would actually like, if given the option, watch plays over movies because it's more personal you can right you have all these theaters where you can go and watch but i think the industry is dying because no one actually does that yeah it's really hard to like scale a play uh make money off a play uh tyler perry um he's um he just become a billionaire recently uh he's known for like the medea films he started off as a playmaker uh, and he was struggling for like the first seven years where, you know, people just wouldn't come and watch. And if you are doing these live shows and people aren't coming, then that's a problem. Like you're not selling tickets. You're not able to pay your talent. Uh, so it's a tough business to get into. Interesting. In a way, aren't movies just plays at scale? Yeah, movies are plays at scale, Harsh, but the thing with movies is that you could edit a lot of stuff out. I mean, it, it, I mean I'm trying to put it into words. I mean, it like, is edited. It's pre-recorded, right? It's pre-recorded, it's between yeah. between like a live video versus an, an edited YouTube video? Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good way to talk about it. It's also just like, you know, watching your favorite singer like in a concert versus hearing their tape where it's a different experience. Yes, I do think that plays as an industry, it's it's very, very hard to scale it. And if you're just watching on your screen, then watching a movie is better than watching a play. One of the plays that I was a part of in the drama club, 
the head actor got sick, like super sick, where he couldn't, um, his voice wasn't working. And this was a problem because we apparently had the entire school coming to watch us like this Friday. So the, the guy who played the head actor uh, from the year before came back and he still remembered all his lines. So he uh, like filled in. But there are like these little stuff where like if you're an actor for a movie and you're sick, then yeah, you mm. could rest up, you see. But if you're for a play and you just get sick out of nowhere, either suck it up and still perform or um, or you got to cancel the entire show just because of one person. Are you aware that doing plays has a different set of skills than doing movies? Because, you know, a movie, the camera is right on your, you know, it's right on you. And the microphone is like r- right next to you. But a play, the audience is far away. So you have to be a bit wild with the gesture so that people can see what you're doing from far away. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn to project your voice so it can actually be heard. Mm-hmm. So in a movie, let's say the guy might say to be or not to be. But the guy in a play has to say to be or not to be because absolutely it not be heard. You nailed it. How did you know that? I mean, how were you able to spot that inside? My Just from common sense? Taught me. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. No, no, no. That's, a, that's a big thing, man. That's a, a big difference. That's are you, why, were you aware of this already? Yeah, I mean, I was aware of it because I've seen it. But like people who haven't done plays or movies, they're not able to spot the nuances like that. They'll just be like, oh, no, it's, it's the same exact thing. Uh, there's this popular actor named Denzel Washington who's mm-hmm. like, uh, he's been relevant for like 30 years. He's like 62, but he looks like 40. And he says that whenever he's working with new talent, he'll ask them, um, have you ever done plays before? Or did you just start your career as an actor? And if they say that they started off with plays, then he knows he wants to work with them because they've been in the mud. You see what I'm saying? It's like, um, what's a good analogy, Harsh? Um, it's like a guy who uh, built a business from scratch, like from idea uh, to a product development, to marketing, uh, to profitability. Then he Street started hiring people. Street pickup versus Tinder. <laughs> Street pickup versus Tinder. Uh, that's a good, that's a pretty good one too. Yeah. Um, no, but like it's it's a the difference between a guy that like actually built his business from scratch, like a purebred entrepreneur. Versus a guy that like How got ha- handed like his dad's business or something. Mm-hmm. I- I'm not saying like the second guy is a bad guy or anything, but there's no, levels of this. We're just saying it's a, he's a half breed, like mud blood. He's a what? <laughs> he's a mud blood. <laughs> he's a mud blood. How do you know them? <laughs> I read Harry Potter when I was a kid. They are mud bloods, man. If they don't build their own business. <laughs> So you've heard of uh, Mudbloods before. Yeah, Harry Potter fan? They were one of the few books that I read as a kid that really helped me learn English. I'll tell you what, okay? So my family, like people in my family aren't like properly educated in a sense that they studied in their regional languages, right? Mm-hmm. And I was the first person in my family to actually go to an English school. But what happened to me is that because no one in my house speaks English, like 
normally i didn't know any english in school and the only english i would learn is a little bit that is taught in school so my english was crap for like a long time like i would barely understand what was going on until i started reading so i read a book called aragorn and then i read the harry potter books and that's how i learned how to speak properly in english and how to read english correctly and that's kind of why i had weird pronunciations going on in my earlier podcasts like from 2019 because i was i just knew a lot of these words from reading and not from speaking them so harry potter really helped me learn english but i see that you like harry potter tell me more I mean I, I'm in some ways the same way Harsh where when I you know came back to the US at age 5 6ish um I I was really shy for a, a while so when a lot of the kids would I don't know when I got shy I think it was like when I was 8 or 9 so a couple of years went by some of the kids would go play and I just be chilling by myself so my teacher was like hey uh rather than just sitting there why don't you read and I was like what am I going to read and she gave me Harry Potter and after reading the first book i was hooked and i i mean i saw the series progress and i enjoyed it harry potter is is one of those very very good books you know from like back in the day you know it's like i love jk rowling's books but i wish i had never come across a twitter account <laughs> <laughs> because you know she she changed the story to become all SJW right now Dumbledore is gay etc so wasn't it hilarious when she said Dumbledore was gay and like so many of the fans were like well what would you know about Dumbledore <laughs> no like, she was just doing can... it for like the clicks you know <laughs> <laughs> we just like so... comp- like hardcore harry potter fans just ignored that completely <laughs> like she was just doing it to please the vogue crowd well, in this a way is... i think sorry go ahead Well no this is one of the things we were talking about in a prior episode like can you separate the art from the artist and i said to a certain degree i can and jk rowling is i'm sure for a lot of people making it challenging or they're like i love harry potter but i don't stand uh for jk rowling's principles like can i still read harry potter yes or no you know i don't think even jk rowling stands for her own principles because even though she says that you know hermione can be black and you know this guy dumbledore is like gay why doesn't she write that in her book mm. like change your book right like if you really believe in it make like change the book like in the book she describes hermione to be like white across the book like hermione will like be red etc when she has like different emotions and there is no indication that says that you know hermione was black even in the movies which she the i think she approved the actors hermione's white how come suddenly in 2021 22 you decide that hermione's black and if you want to make her black why don't you edit the book and put that in mhm like edit the book put that in make some case scenes up with you know dumbledore put that in the book why are you just saying that on twitter like give, oh she said that you, I, i didn't see that yeah she doesn't want to edit the book like she wants to keep the books normal but she wants all this bullshit like on top of the books if you follow her twitter which is complete grifting in my opinion that's the thing man i mean like i think when you're creating content 
if you don't have to show your face, where like comedians, I mean, they have to show their face. But like, if you're a writer, more specifically for fiction books, we don't really need to hear from you so much. Like we're following you for the stories. So keep it like that. I mean, this is one of the perfect situations of like, if it's not broken, don't try to fix it. But she's like trying to break something so she could fix it. I think she's just trying to appease to, you know, the SJW crowd. But she doesn't... For whatever um, reason. But she gets a lot of backlash from the SJW crowd because she has pretty strong opinions regarding, like, the whole trans issue. I don't know. I think that anyone who is pro-SJW eventually gets backlash from SJWs. Like, it's a bunch of people who like to... They are like piranhas, okay? Like, they, they're basically savages and they will cannibalize you if they get the opportunity. So you could be the nicest, most appeasing SJW ever. But you what you develop is an audience of these savages, right? Who don't care about you. Mm-hmm. Who will... if you, you will make these weird... Like, you will create these weird boundaries that you can't cross. Like, you have to be pro S, you know, LGBT, etc. You can't say this, you can't say that. And you have to be, essentially get everything you say approved by some censor board. That at some point, it will be so overwhelming that you are going to make a mistake. And then these very people that you were trying to appease for all these years are the people who will cancel you. You're right about that. I mean... I actually saw a situation like that happen recently where, uh, you know, I have a, the Armani Talks Twitter account, but I also have a yeah. personal account where I keep in touch with friends and all that. And I saw this one girl who, like, in real life, she's very soft-spoken. Like, you have to ask her to repeat herself in order to hear what she's saying. A very chill. But she has such a freaking aggressive Twitter account. Like, she writes in all caps. She's like, men ain't shit. Like, um, what happened was, you know, she was in a pretty long relationship. And I think, like, judging by her tweets, the guy cheated on her. And, you know, she's pretty much venting on uh, Twitter, which is fine. But what started to happen was that she started to build, like, a following of, like, you know, being, like, super man-hating. And, you know, she was, like, bu- um, I don't know if she's a... F- yeah, I mean... um. What there's so many definitions of feminism, like Feminazi. Well, she was like you know very much heated, and a bunch of like her comments were like of other people like her, like supporting her, like yeah, keep going, I love your content. Um, then what happened is like one of her like the accounts that she retweets a lot, uh, she was actually speaking out against a certain issue, where like a girl apparently just said that something happened and like her friends like beat up this guy that she accused and later on she was just joking and one of the accounts uh that would comment on this like sweet girls like and i'm saying sweet girl in like air quotations who used to be sweet Mm -hmm. um was speaking out against her and now they started to like collide they're like look at you defending men like how, how could you and they were just going off at each other I'm like, they're, yeah, they're eating their own. It happens a lot, man. All these people are like savages. And if you build an audience of these people, you can basically, 
I can guarantee that at some point you are going to make a mistake and these idiots will turn on you because these people are essentially that. They're like wild animals. Mm-hmm. If you take LMM, for example, I have never in my life ever appeased these SJWs, okay? Like from day one, I've been telling people <laughs> what I think. And I have some pretty controversial thoughts about a lot of topics. Like I personally think LGBT is like LGBT is a disease. So I've been saying that since day one. And you can't cancel me because I don't have an audience of people who would be offended by that. (laughs) (laughs) So I do think that a lot of the people who get canceled, they get canceled because they build an audience of people who who will cancel them. Like, why are you appeasing these? Just don't do it. Well, do you know what a hack means? Like when someone calls someone else a hack? No, what does that mean? So it means like this person knows what the audience wants and they just give it to them. And um, th- that's like the t- typical definition of a hack. And, you know, being a hack um, like throughout culture wasn't seen as a bad thing. Uh, a lot of like people made millions of being a hack. But that's very you mean different. Out. Right. Uh, but nowadays, like being a hack has just like amped up. You know what I'm saying? Or uh like you'll see like what the current market temperature is for certain political beliefs and you're like, okay, I'll give them that. But if you're giving them that, then you're a puppet. You're, you don't have any opinions of your own and you're just talking for an audience rather than uh, creating any ideas of yourself. And this doesn't last, man. I mean, any SJW brand or brands in general that are just trying to become too political, they often hurt themselves in the long run. Definitely, it doesn't really gain them as much, especially if the brand is like not selling something SJW related. In the sense that if you take Gillette, they're not selling something that's SJW related, right? They're not selling like clothes with like hammer and sickle on them or things like that. So, them going political was just stupid. I mean, have you been hearing about some Disney stuff recently? I mean, I've been hearing Disney getting a lot of controversy recently. Uh, I don't know exactly what they did. Uh, are you aware of that? I am not. Tell me more. Well, I'm not aware of it, but it goes on to show that even a brand like Disney is not bulletproof. Where, like, when you're thinking about like certain bulletproof b- brands, where you're like, "Oh, you can't cancel that." Uh, Ten years ago, you'd say like, "Oh yeah, like a brand like Disney, like it's built up so much reputation that they're almost difficult to cancel." Uh, but as of late, I mean, they're even going political. So um, that's not, I, I think in the future, what's going to happen is that people are going to revert back and focus more on the, the actual content, like the products, the services. And just because you can have an opinion doesn't mean you should, because a lot of this stuff requires a lot of research. You got to really know what you're talking about, not just because like everyone else is talking about it. When um, I wouldn't bet on it. I think that this cancel culture thing is going to get worse before it gets better. But don't you think that would be why like more companies aren't being too political in the future? Or they're like, okay, like, I mean, it's a losing game if I play it. So let me just go back to focusing on what makes the business the business. You don't see that happening? I do see that some companies 
will perform better than others and this will play a role but i do not believe that companies are going to stop doing this because companies at the end of the day are run by people and if the owner is an idiot then he's going to do stupid things mhm but over the long run i do think that a lot of this stuff should get wiped out as information passes on in the market that it doesn't work but so far it hasn't happened yet what happened to the good old 2000s where um everything wasn't so political like back to harry potter for the i would say it was like by book 6 where i actually found out what jk rowling looked like before that i didn't know i didn't care i just focused on the stories uh but nowadays like i hear jk rowling for more things versus harry potter itself i think you could say that social media happened hmm where everyone yeah. has a voice not just you know cnn and there are pros and cons to it you know because cnn has been lying since forever not just recently so we know that now but it also gave a voice to everyone and that includes all these weirdos mhm was there ever so, a point where you took cnn seriously no where i'm not going to lie like early in 2000s like that was our like go to news source like this is before internet was becoming too much of a thing uh, we had dial up internet like if we needed to get information from somewhere we'd go straight to cnn i never watched too much tv as a kid as well and you know as an adult i never watched tv and as a kid i would never watch the news i'm telling you man you're you're like every parents like a dream child like doesn't drink doesn't watch tv <laughs> doesn't listen to raunchy music ah uh, yeah every indian parents dream child <laughs> <laughs> then they see your twitter account <laughs> <laughs> well i come from a very conservative family you could say like not a super conservative family but by western standards yes i mean a lot of the stuff you say like in terms of like indian culture like I do know like even in Indian culture nowadays like more liberal values are getting picked up but a lot of it is conservative like so for them like a lot like, of it is just common sense here yeah so for them like your twitter account may seem like common sense yeah so i have some old people who will like comment on my twitter account saying like how is this popular isn't this just common sense and i'm like trust me it's it's, it's no longer common sense anymore <laughs> So, speaking yeah, of that it's speaking really of interesting like i don't think we would have been as popular as we are had we been doing this in say the year 1850 mhm speaking of controversy harsh um uh have you heard of kevin samuels i have never heard of this guy no okay like i think you mentioned one time like you heard it like the fresh and fit podcast like these two guys that Is it like a red pill podcast that often goes viral? Is you may have heard of it. Is this the one where there's like 10 hot chicks and this there's a guest in the middle of them? Yeah, and then two black guys on the corner. Yeah, like the, the hot chicks are like very thrashy hot chicks in a way like not like classy hot chicks. Maybe, maybe. I, yeah, I think you're talking about the Fresh and Fit podcast. 
Well, there was another guy called Kevin Samuels who mm-hmm. recently passed away. And he had this like meteoric rise within the past year to two years. And mm-hmm. uh, like he's been in the YouTube game for a long time. Initially, he started off, you know, talking about men's fashion. Uh, later on, he started to have a call-in show where, you know, men would uh, not only contact him for fashion advice, but dating advice as well. And he was known for being very hard on them. Like he was like, uh, like very ruthless in his advice. And that's what was making him popular. But what really blew up his career was uh, this viral clip where like this girl was asking, like, why can't she find a man? Um, Kevin Samuels told her to rank herself. She said like an eight or nine. And he was like, sweetheart, you're average at best. And that clip started to go viral. And his YouTube channel started to like blow up. And when he saw it blowing up so much, he rebranded himself um, to focus more on like women and to give like advice to women on how to land a high value male. So what started to happen, Harsh, was that he was causing a lot of controversy because one group of people are like, you know, he's saying a lot of common sense. He's talking about old school principles on what makes um, a relationship sustainable, like old school values. But then another group of people thought he was very divisive. They were like, no, no, I mean, why are we even taking advice from him? He's divorced two times, uh, like, you know, and he's too mean. And he just suddenly passed away like a week or two ago. And social media was like highly polarized. Like one group of people were, you know, sad because he seemed very healthy and he just died out of nowhere. And then there was another group who was like celebrating his death. Um, they were like, yes, finally he died. And um, it was a very shocking moment, you know. Uh, I'm surprised How you didn't did see. Die? So it's saying that it was like due to heart failure, something like that. But Wait, I don't know if I'm... old was this guy? 55. Oh, okay, okay. Was he fat? But he... No, man. Like, if here, let me just send you a picture of him. Like, he looked like a pretty healthy guy. Um, so him just dying out of nowhere was um, pretty shocking. Do you know in India, the word healthy means fat? Oh, does it? Yeah. So when you say someone's healthy, it's like a euphemism for fat. Okay. Um, I just sent you a link of what he looks like. One sec. Opening the link. Oh, yeah. This guy doesn't look fat at all. He looks healthy and fit. Huh. <laughs> weird he died no here um so when i was talking to my like one of my buddies who bought up the news for me the whole thing seemed super shady because the person who called in the ambulance was a chick that he met the the night before like like a nurse or some random person that he met and i don't know man like it just seemed out of the blue moon he died i didn't know if it was coordinated or if it was a Jeffrey Epstein kind of thing, because he was speaking some like very controversial opinions and he was becoming mainstream as well. Like there were um, like popular rappers like Nicki Minaj, Future, like inviting him to do collabs. Like he wasn't just a niche person anymore. He was becoming mainstream. So I wonder if it was like a coordinated thing to like take him out. Uh, I have no evidence of this. Yeah, I mean, 
that's what I'm thinking. I I mean, I don't know if something like this is going to like come out like uh because him just suddenly dying like that um it didn't seem like normal to me. I don't know. It could be he could have gotten Epstein. We never know. But you know, it seems a bit absurd in the sense that like Epstein was probably Epsteined by like people in true power to protect themselves from being accused of like raping kids, right? So, mm-hmm. but this guy wasn't like he didn't have like true power enemies. He wasn't hurting the elite. This guy was just a distraction, you could say. In I mean, fact, a lot of journalists were. Co- this hmm. guy was like beneficial to the elites because he was distracting the public with these issues. Yeah, but um, I don't know if he was beneficial because a lot of like, like pretty big journalists were calling him out, um, especially because um, he would attack a lot of like um, women in their mid thirties that were single, and I think this is actually a topic that you bring up every now and then too. Uh, but he would like, um, he would like his shows would last for like one to two hours, so like women would call in to the show. And he'd often like joust with them, uh, debate with them, and these clips would go viral. And then a lot of like these popular journalists would attack the show, bring more clout to it. Uh, I think he had like a million subscribers before his passing, and a lot of people watched his shows. Like each video had like like four hundred thousand views or something. So he had just one million subscribers. He had, but you got to see it like this, like. I would say in 2020, he had like 60,000 for a while. So it was like a, it was a rise that was happening. Yeah, I don't think he was killed. Like it it might be like someone killed him, but it wasn't like, I wouldn't say it was something like, you know. Epstein? Yeah, it wasn't, some, it wasn't something like Epstein. It could have been like some pissed off fan girl maybe. But I think. I don't know. It seems too absurd to kill a guy like that for like this. It could be something like he was taking steroids and then he drank on top of it. Well, there was another thing like, uh, and by the way, the killing thing, like, you know, it's just like a theory that I'm throwing out there. I'm not saying that I have any evidence. Um, But another thing is that he drank a lot of Red Bull in every show. So somewhere like, you know, thinking of that's what caused his like heart problem because he drank so much energy drinks. Um, I don't know much about energy drinks like that like do you do you know anything about it like is it bad for your heart i don't know i would not think so because energy drinks are mostly just caffeine and flavor yeah so i'm looking at it right now it was a cardiac arrest that happened to him maybe he had like really bad health underlying or some other condition we just don't know yeah, and this was another thing that I noticed, like, because he looks so healthy, but a lot of the times, like, even if you look healthy, you don't know what's happening internally with you. So it's uh, it's important to take care of your health, man. Like, you never know, like, who this could just happen to out of, out of nowhere. Yeah, man, it's like more and more people are dying at the 50s mark, you know, especially with heart attacks. I blame seed oils for it. Have you noticed the same thing? I mean, I've noticed it from you, but I haven't done any research on my own from it. Were you a fan of this guy, the guy who died? 
Um, I'm not really a fan of like um, any particular creator in general. I just thought it was, um, I thought he was just an amusing channel to watch. Um, just like the Fresh and Fit channel. Like I, I watch a variety of shows. So he was just like one of the guys that I watched. But the reason that I was very surprised by it was because, you know, like I saw him like go from like a small channel to very big. And I saw like him doing all these different collaborations with like pretty well-known names. So I thought like he had like this big bright future ahead of him, like in the content creation space. And then he just like died. So I was thinking like random. I don't know about for you, Harsh, but like there's been like throughout my life, there's been a lot of these like random moments where um, like people just die or like, you know, like before, like you would think like, you know, when you're like a little kid, you're mainly thinking like, oh, people die from um, old age. But I think a big part of maturing is like seeing people that like you're not expecting to pass away, to pass away from like stuff like car accidents. Um, I knew some people that died in their sleep, um, like murdered. Um, did you ever have that where like someone that you knew very well just suddenly passed away? Not in particular. I do know a couple of people who committed suicide. Mm, like you were close to them or you just... not close to them, but I, I knew them like say when I was like a kid and then 10 years later, I heard from someone that, okay, this guy killed himself. That was interesting. But no one I was in regular touch with died. Touch wood. Hmm. There was this world star video, a world star hip hop video of this lady who was, you know, celebrating and jumping for joy in this short little clip. And the title wrote, uh, she committed suicide the next day. So, you know, if you're watching the video, you'd be like, no, she seems so happy. But then she literally just kills herself the next day. So you never know, like, what someone is, you know, struggling with internally. Um, uh, so suicide, I mean, did like, you don't have to go in more detail, but like, was it like, like jumping off a building kind of suicide or was it less subtle? Yeah, I know two guys who jumped off the building. In a sense, when I say I know, I mean like I met these met these people like 10 years ago. And then I was recently in touch with someone I knew from my childhood. And I was asking him like, what happened to everyone? And then he was telling me, okay, these two guys killed themselves during COVID. I think COVID was very harsh on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of relationships ended then too. Isn't that interesting though, Arman? Like a lot of relationships ended because these guys were spending so much time together. (laughs) (laughs) That was like one of the jokes. Like, um, because during COVID, there were a few, you know, running jokes that were coming up about. One of the jokes was like, you know, people are normally talking about wanting all this freedom. Now they have it in their house and they don't know what to do. So that was one of the jokes. The other one was like, all these relationships are ending. And the third one was... um, what was the third joke? I mean, did, do you recall any of the jokes from that I remember period? a joke like, the only thing keeping these two together was the time they spent apart at work. Oh. Yeah, I mean, isn't it crazy that it was, it was, it was like just two years ago, like two years flew by. Man, like, I what? feel like I lost two years in the sense that I did a lot of work from my home, right? Mm-hmm. But I was barely going out. And when I think back, okay, 
for 2021-2020. I can't really recall the year outside of working all day and studying and things like that. You know, from, it was like from a what wave. period? Th- 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. With a lot of, the, especially th- 2020. In 2021, I was still going out quite a bit. But in th- 2020, we were mostly in lockdown, correct? So mm-hmm. when I recall the year, I can't really recall anything. It feels like it was just spent in a day in my memory because I wasn't going out and doing any new things outside of working. Each day felt the same. You could say that. Like now in my memory, right? It was like, you know how you think back? You think back to all the things you did. Okay, so you went to the beach, you met X person, Y person, you had these meetings, and that's how you remember your past, right? Yes. I had this idea. I was doing that. In 2020, all I remember was working. So I can think back to say, March 2020 and okay I'm going boxing I'm meeting people and having fun working on the business etc but from April to December 2020 I can't I don't have recollection outside of me just sitting on my computer and doing different things right it's I'm thinking because that's very similar with me mm-hmm. and sometimes what happens harsh is it's like a zip file, man. It's like my brain just zipped it. It's like all of this is so similar. That's it's a good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> See, what happens with YouTube, if you upload YouTube videos, is that it in some ways chronicles your life. So I recall like um, in 2020, all these videos or all these weddings were getting canceled, right? And then mm-hmm. like at, I would say around November, there was a wedding that I got invited to. And I was like, wait, uh, a wedding during the, this time? Like, is this really going to happen? And uh, the guy the guy who's going to get married calls me and he's like, yes, it's going to happen. Just wear your mask. So initially, I was thinking he was actually going to cancel it. I was like, oh, wait, I, I got to upload a YouTube video real quick before I go to the wedding. So I recall exactly which video I did. And then I went to the wedding. And a few days ago, like, the video came up as a recommended video on my, like, YouTube, like, playlist i was like whoa like this was the video i recorded right before the wedding that happened during coronavirus during 2020 whoa like almost two years already passed by since that video so it's like you know how you're saying it's a zip file for you for me Mm -hmm. it's like this catalog of videos and podcasts and blogs that i uploaded with the timestamp. interesting you may notice that too, like, because um, you you're uploading a lot of YouTube videos, and like, you probably recall like a certain experience before you clicked upload or during that similar span. So two years from now, when you see it, you're like, "Whoa, it's been two years since I uploaded this video." That happens to me with my articles, you know. Like, I'm looking at an article, and I'm like, "Huh, this was published three years ago." God damn. Yeah. When did I do the storytelling blog on your website? 2018, I think. 2018. Let me check. But it kind of feels like time goes by so fast. Right, because I feel like we're just collaborating on that. Yeah. You know, 
I was recently narrating an old article of mine, right? And mm-hmm. you can literally see how my older articles are so much harder to read than my current articles because my writing has improved so much over the years. You know what they say, if you're not cringing at your old old writing, then you're not writing enough. Yeah, I think you get much better as you keep doing a certain thing, which people don't uh, you know people don't realize in the sense that people quit too soon because they don't see results but they don't realize that the results will come if they stick to the particular thing because mm-hmm. they will keep getting better and better and better can you um so i have the article pulled up um if you don't have it pulled up do you want to guess when i posted 2018, that 18 this i just opened the article uh-huh. december 18 2018 isn't that crazy? It's been over three years. Damn, that is so crazy. So, I mean, speaking flies. of years, do you know tomorrow on May 17th is the fourth anniversary of Life Math Money? Wow. Yeah, you're, you're right. May 17th. May 17th. May 17th. For me, uh, it's one month later, June, June 18th. Man, I can't believe it's been four years doing this thing. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be just a hobby. Like, I never, ever thought that it will be big. And even today, I'm sometimes a bit surprised that people listen to me and they care about what I have to say because I'm just a guy who lives my life and these are just my lessons, the things I learned from my life. So sometimes it kind of doesn't compute, you know, that. Hundreds of thousands of people are reading this and they consider it valuable because from me, my perspective, I'm just a normal guy. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, what do you personally think was the reason that you touched that nerve in a good way to get that audience? I think a lot of people don't have enough guidance and this really helps them because like you talk to like in the real world, when you ask someone for advice, right, you get bullshit. You get like politically correct nonsense, which doesn't work. And with my blog and, you know, my videos, etc., it's stuff that actually works and is actionable. So it isn't like a motivational speaker who is just pumping your emotions up, but not really giving you anything to act upon. And it's not like an SJW who is giving you things to act upon, but his action steps are all bullshit. So I think it has like, you know, A and B. You've seen the Venn diagram, right? Actionable advice and stuff that works and where in the intersection. Mm. I mean, you have um, you have a little like follow us bar on your website. And it, show, I mean, it shows your immense growth. 296 Twitter followers, 48,000 Instagram followers. And, you know, you have a Telegram group, TikTok, much more. Yeah, so I'm trying to grow my YouTube a lot more lately, though. YouTube? I mean, you're at 6,800 now. So that's great. I mean... 6,900. 6,900, okay. Um, What's making you get more involved in YouTube as of late? The big reason is that YouTube is... A lot of people. It's huge and it's not impossible to grow on this platform. So 
it seems like something I didn't tap into over the years and something I would like to tap into. Like it would be cool to have a million followers on YouTube. It would. I, and I could definitely see you doing that. And the cool thing with YouTube is that the content appreciates over time. And we talked about this before. We're like with like writing a tweet, for example, like you could always like retweet it later on. But for the most part, it just disappears. But with a YouTube video, like you never know like when it's going to come back from the dead and start bringing in more life. It's like an asset. Yeah, it is a search engine, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the longer your videos are there, the more like the more YouTube eventually starts recommending it. I don't know about that. I'm not an expert in the algo, so I can't comment. But I can definitely say that it's like a search engine because sometimes I will watch a video on YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. And the video I'm watching would be like seven years old. And it's still making money for the guy who initially made it. Yeah, more than money, it's still giving him exposure, letting people know he exists, etc. So it does make a difference. I will say that YouTube kind of took off in a way in 2017 and beyond. Before that, it was like a bunch of like, it wasn't as high quality content. Have you heard of um, Sam Ovens? I think I have. He's like the skinny white kid, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So he basically teaches uh, consultants how to make uh, their consulting businesses take off. And I would say in 2018, he said that content marketing was a waste of time. I mean, spend more time on Facebook ads. Um, And nowadays, I mean, he's changed his strategy a lot. Like he says that he's going to invest way more on YouTube. Like he took this long break, right? Uh, I would say like... Uh, I just Googled Sam Owens. Okay, this is a different guy from what I was imagining. But go ahead. Okay. Uh, so he took this one to two year break. And he said that during that break of not posting any YouTube videos, he came back and saw that his channel had grown. And when he saw that his channel had grown and that most of his leads for his mastermind came from YouTube, he realized that he was uh, mistaken about um, how YouTube wasn't as powerful as Facebook. Because with Facebook, you got to keep you know buying these ads. Um, you don't necessarily build that audience. Unless you, you know, drive him to an email signup list. But he said with YouTube, like, I haven't posted a video in a year or two. And my channel has only grown and my business has grown as well. So I'm going to make more videos. So this Mm. is a guy who you could see his perception shifting regarding YouTube. Interesting. So he went from, say, inorganic marketing to organic marketing in a way. Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely see YouTube as like one of the biggest players in the future if they can get their shit together and not do the whole demonetization and things like that, you know. Right. You have any other plans on building on anything else or is YouTube your main focus right now? Right now, my main focus is writing YouTube and teach yourself crypto. I do have a guy who posts my tweets on TikTok. I'm looking at that right now. Which does it for me. So on TikTok, I'm at True Life Math Money. True Life Math Money for the people who want to follow me there. Why True Life Math Money? Because someone took Life Math Money. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I got robbed from. 
do they, do they have your face too or is it just like no actual? they just have Everyone. the account it's blank i don't know why they did that but they did it man that was but like that for armani plans? talks <laughs> what are your plans i mean right now i'm still focusing on the same thing i, I do want to add a tiktok um instagram linkedin presence um soon um right now i have a lot of content so i'm gonna most likely get a assistant i chop up my youtube videos in a strategic way uh, to make it compatible for tiktok i have a lot of blogs which i'm gonna you know start sharing on linkedin and one of the good things about having a good amount of followers on uh twitter harsh is that every now and then like your followers will turn your tweets into like very nice graphics for instagram and one of my followers recently uh, he got a few of my blogs like my um tweets and stuff and made these nice graphics and he's like this you could post this on instagram so i'm like oh, well thank you man i appreciate the i appreciate the idea so instagram for sure so those are my three uh that i'm looking into what seems to be doing well for you like what's going fast what's growing slowly what's been gr- like what's been growing fast recently is um my blog um that's been growing somewhat uh for particular keywords um and that brings me a good amount of sales um my podcast has been growing in like certain countries like uh, for Costa Rica I think I'm like a top uh, self improvement podcast um email list has been growing from a lot of the other traffic sources that I've been working on um and one thing that I've noticed harsh is when you're expanding uh you're going to have cold seasons and hot seasons So hot seasons right now are for blog and podcast. I say cold seasons are for Twitter and uh uh YouTube. Um but it it always flips like sometimes um Twitter and YouTube become hot and podcast and blogs become somewhat cold. Mm. I see. So it's like it changes. It changes. I mean, this is what I used to do in um like engineering like where it's crazy because like sometimes like things will all break like one thing will break and that's why you have to do a thing called a backup system you don't just want to rely on one system and it's called like a um failover system for any engineering students out there so anytime you're building a complex system which a business technically is uh i don't believe in relying too much on like one platform because you never know like when you're going to have a cold streak there so uh let's say you're just relying on that one thing and now you're having a cold streak you're going to make short term decisions you're going to be like oh well i'll act like a clown right now so i could finally you know get over this hump but if you have a lot of things that you're working on then uh you're going to you're going to wait for the season to end and uh not compromise your integrity in the way mm interesting Disney was like that. Like I read um Bob Iger's autobiography and he he says that like for a while like Disney wasn't making any pop in films. Um but they had like they had some breathing room because they were making so much money from their investments and from their theme park. And then for a while like when coronavirus hit, the theme park was down and that's when they just bought out like a, a few great movie studios and now their movies were back up. but let's say they didn't own a theme park and their movies were down now they're panicking so having 
having like your foot in different markets, I think helps you like maintain composure. Definitely diversification helps there. Although I will say that they they have to be unrelated in the sense that let's say that you are in the theme park business and also in the food business and then COVID happens and you were not diversified. That's true. That's true. So for them, like the scenario I gave, one is content and one is um one like is physical offline, one is online in a way. Mm-hmm. Like they're both entertainment, but one is offline, the other is physical. Right. Where that's actually a good way to think of it. Like, do you have an offline and online presence? Um actually I don't know. I'm gonna have to probably think about that, but like 2019, even nowadays, like if there's a local event around the area and I, they need an MC, like I'll do a quick little MCing where I'll host like the event. And that's an offline gig. And that's something that I do personally just for practice. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not something that I'm going to be able to do if like in 2020, where no one was throwing these live events. How much has this industry recovered? Is it like back to normal or is it like still in the dumps? I would say a large part of it is back to normal. Like my old school public speaking coach is um, making money again. Like he holds these seminars um, and, you know, his business is booming again. Um, I think another important thing, Harsh, is uh, brand presence. Because like if you have a brand, it makes it so much easier for things to recover, especially during dark times like this or in 2020, at least. Hmm. I definitely think a lot of the businesses that were not doing well ended up shutting down in COVID. And, you know, now that the market is back, the ones that did survive have like good opportunity to take over the ones that closed down. Mm-hmm. Like the pie can be divided among fewer players now. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done like Shopify businesses or Amazon FBA? Not really. That sort no. of stuff. No, no. Have no. you ever been interested in that stuff or not really? I am interested in them. In the future, I would like to start like a brand for men's products, like soaps and shampoos, and maybe even coffee. Although I need to learn more about coffee. Like the one reason I don't drink coffee that much is because coffee sucks. So if there was like a really good coffee, I would like to drink it. But so I need to learn have you more. Tried, Maybe I can and have you tried lattes? And like sorry. Have you tried oh, lattes or, or cappuccinos? So all of those stuff is something you would get at like a coffee shop, right? When I say coffee, I mean like you take out a packet, you have some water and you mix it. Okay, you're talking about like straight to the point. Yeah, just coffee. Like, you know, you wake up in the morning, you take some out and you put it in the water and you mix and drink it. Do you ever plan on having a fitness company? No, I don't want to do anything that's like impossible to scale in a sense. So if it was like an app or something, then I might be interested. But if you mean like a gym, then no. No, not a gym, but uh, selling your own protein shake, selling your own pre-workout. 
like a supplement. Yeah, so company. that's what I'm telling you, right? So the company I'm talking about, the Ecom brand, will eventually have those products as well, like good whey protein, good supplements, etc. And one mm. thing this will allow me to do is it'll allow me to ensure quality because right now when people take supplements, you can't really trust these manufacturers. Like how like if they say there's B12 in it, you don't know for sure. And a lot of the big ones like bodybuilding.com was fine for lacing their whey protein with steroids. Or they were fine for lacing some supplement that they were selling with some illegal steroid to give people better results. So you can't really trust these bigger companies. And I think there's a gap there which a brand like LMM can fulfill. I can see you doing that. Would it be on Shopify? Or I don't know, Amazon APA. Okay. Probably That's Shopify a... and Amazon both. Hmm. Thinking. I, I would definitely love to do something like that as well. And I, I'd want to do it in the future where it could be more of a passion project at first and then it expands into something different. The biggest issue is time, isn't it? It's time, yeah. Like how Especially... many things can you do at once? No, you can't do everything at once. Um, there's like this rapper named Rick Ross who recently has been, you know, known more for business than his rap. And he he's building like this Wingstop empire. Do you guys have Wingstop there? No, I, we do not. Although for the first time in a long time, I know who this guy is. <laughs> you know who Rick Ross is? This is the guy who sang 100 Black Coffins, right? I don't, I actually don't know. Let me see. The, the song from Django Unchained. Let me check. Yep, by Rick Ross. See, finally I know a guy that you talk about. That's why I always ask, like, have you heard of him? Because I don't just want to assume that you know. So yeah, I know this guy, but tell me more about his Wings company. So just first, uh, while I'm telling you the story, just type in Rick Ross house. Look at what his house looks like. Rick Ross house. Damn, his house looks cool. It's like a, fl- it's like a plane. Or, you it's know, like huge. one of those, yeah, like sci-fi flying objects. Mm-hmm. Something from Avatar. Like, so his story is crazy. Like, it took him fifteen years to blow up as a rapper. Fifteen years. Like some people, they don't even put in like fifteen minutes to do something. And he spent fifteen years uh, becoming a rapper. And he didn't really make that much money from his songs up until uh, 2012, which was pretty recent. So when he started to make his money, he started to reinvest it back into businesses that he uses. So he's a big fan of um, Rosé, the liquor. So he invests in that business. And another one is the man loves uh, to eat, as you can tell. And um, one of the things he likes a lot is wings. So he invested in one wing house um, and then he just kept replicating it and buying more wing houses. And now I think he owns 20 of them, which are all cash flow positive. So he didn't like actually build like the brand of wing house, but he partnered with them with the money that he had. So his philosophy for investing is like invest in stuff that you use yourself. Like you're a hardcore fan of it. And most likely there's going to be similar people like you around the world as well and obviously you got to do some logistics as well but i like that um i like that philosophy that he has like 
you should already love it yourself. This guy's house, I'm looking at it. It says he bought it for three and a half million. That's a big house for that price. I don't know if it's three hundred, three and a half. Oh well, it's because he bought it from a guy who just died. So I think that may have been why it was uh, less. And he fixed it up a lot. Oh, I see. I see. I don't it's know if cool I can live in a house that big. I don't think why he's not? married or anything, so he's like living by himself in that big ass house. Maybe his family is living with him. But to maintain a house like that, how much do you think it costs per year? I don't know. Like, I have no idea. I'm just guessing, but maybe a hundred k. Maybe and like to to drive. You need to like his a place. bunch of people just for the gardening, then a bunch mm-hmm. of people for cleaning it. Then there would be repair costs, etc. Like the floor is like broken or like the roof is leaking, whatever. Then you might also need to spend some money on things like you know making sure the water or the systems are working, the lighting, etc. And because it's in the U.S., you know, staff is expensive, so a hundred k doesn't like, and you also have to like pay for security. So two hundred to one hundred k is what i would estimate but you know i have no idea there was this hilarious video of him um going viral viral recently where he was trying to pay some people to cut down trees and apparently they were charging him a lot so he bought a chainsaw and he started cutting the trees himself and (laughs) the video went viral it was hilarious interesting you know cutting trees is like a little more complex than how people think I would imagine because these are big trees. I'm like, how do you know it's not going to fall on you or something? Exactly. How do you know it's not going to fall on you? <laughs> nah, I, I can't live in a place that big, Harsh. Alone, it would be boring as hell. I think you need to have family. I mean, even if you have family, like that's way too big. Like, you have to like, you need like a, like a scooter or something to get around that house. <laughs> too big man you know it's not that big you can walk like in 10 minutes from end to end you got also to, heard you want to give it to the guy though he's done well for himself and he seems to have worked hard for it given what you describe mm-hmm. i mean he's a very fascinating business mind too I, I mean he owns at least 20 cars i'm thinking well why would he get that many cars like these become liabilities no and the thing is, he's tapped into a market where certain cars appreciate in value over time because they're seen as muscle cars or, you know, collector's items. So he was able to turn cars in some ways uh, to an asset. And another thing he does is um, hardcore car fans uh, pay him a couple of thousands of dollars for an hour to pose with the cars. So I'm like, man, this guy thinks differently. He's not just a rapper. Uh, he's an actual businessman, too. How do we start talking about Rick Ross? I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. Apparently, he has like a huge history of crime as well, which is crazy. I think you're talking about the actual drug dealer, Rick Ross, like Ricky Ross. I am on wikipedia.org slash wiki slash Rick underscore Ross. So there's two Rick Rosses. singer who is singing. This guy has like a very thick beard. I think black people have very thick hair. Like, mm-hmm. his beard seems, like, impenetrable. It's not 
very very curly hair here post the link of the rick ross you're looking at because there's two rick rosses i know there's one more like the guy who's a famous drug dealer because i think ed latimer knows him the other guy in person Mm -hmm. freeway rick ross yeah the, the drug dealer guy Ed oh, Latimer yeah, knows the guy, I think. Oh, he knows him? Yeah, he knows him in person, I think. So the real Rick Ross, Freeway Rick Ross, apparently sued <laughs> the rapper Rick Ross for taking his name. What came of that? I don't know what ended up happening. Let me just click the Wikipedia. On June 18, 2010, Ross sued rapper Rick Ross for using his name, filing a copyright infringement lawsuit against Ross and Superior Court. Uh, it's pretty long, so I don't know if I could read the whole thing. The last line says, um, the coach ruled in favor of the rapper Rick Ross. Okay, rapper Rick Ross, because I just read Rick Ross. Okay, so now he's still using the same name. This freeway Rick Ross guy looks good. Imagine if someone uh, like starts going by Life Math Money, starts blowing up <laughs> in the future. Uh, so I, ah. I, I get how this guy felt. That's unlikely to happen because it's on the net, right? Like this mm-hmm. guy, they got popular in different worlds in the sense that I bet this freeway Rick Ross guy was popular, say, in one particular part of the country versus this other guy. But on the internet, that doesn't happen, right? Like on the internet, everyone knows you're a scammer because when someone Googles you, they find the real deal. Mm-hmm. So things are different. That's true. Like, I, could, I I don't know for sure, right? But it could be that this guy didn't even know the original Rick Ross existed when he picked up the name. I don't know, but... No, I'm pretty sure he, be knew, because I, he knew. I, I'm pretty sure he knew that part. I, I, but I don't think his intentions were bad. I think he was doing it as, like, homage. <laughs> but I don't think the original guy saw it in a positive light. Wait, why would you give homage to a drug dealer? Well, I mean, the rap culture, I mean, like... Um, drug dealing in itself like yeah it's bad and like mainstream but in some parts of the culture it's seen as like business-minded like building empires um like he built an actual drug empire like um there's like a lot of songs like praising pablo escobar and not because he's a good guy but because like how much money he stacked up you know people worship different things what are your thoughts on legalizing drugs it depends on the drugs. Uh, for marijuana, I'm completely for legalizing it. Uh, but other drugs, I mean, I don't know if it would be good to legalize it. You know, earlier I used to think that the best solution for drugs was to just poison the drugs and then like push them in the market illegally. So all the people who were taking the drugs would die. But then I was reading a bit more and i realized that they already tried harsh. it and it didn't work are they tried that before yeah they tried it in the u.s where they were trying to like getting people to stop drinking alcohol so they would basically do something to the alcohol to make it poisonous for consumption like denaturing or something like that and a lot of like this this entire period in the u.s was called the prohibition and thousands of people would drink that alcohol and die because this alcohol was poisoned. 
And what that led to was that people would start brewing their own alcohol and we would go from people drinking beer to people drinking like hard drinks like vodka. Because if you have to make it illegally or, you know, like get illegal stuff, then you might as well drink something that has like very high alcohol percentage versus Mm -hmm. drink something like beer. So making a drug illegal incentivizes people to make that drug stronger. In a way, it concentrates it, right? So you have to have less of the substance to get the same high. Hmm. So I realized that my crazy idea had been tried before and it didn't, <laughs> and didn't work out. So I think it's best to just legalize it because when it's illegal, people are still consuming it, but you're not taxing it. Right. So if you legalize it, then you can at least control it. Okay. So you can say kids are not allowed to have it. Adults can have it. And it's going to be heavily taxed. So it's going to be, you know, legal, but we'll make some revenue from it. And because it's legal, then you can be sure that the drug is pure. And, you know, there aren't like messed up stuff like marijuana, but some heroin or something in it that's supposed to like get you addicted or whatever. So at this point, I think that these drugs should just be legal, but they should not be allowed to advertise them anymore. What kind drugs of like do tobacco. they advertise? What drugs do they advertise? No, in the sense that something is legal, the law should say that it's legal, but it should not be allowed to be advertised. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's kind of, you know, my kind of take on, you know, things like LGBT too, where I don't think these guys, I don't think it should be illegal in the sense that you should be killed for being LGBT. But I do think that there should be laws which prohibit it from being promoted on television and things like that, you know. Hmm. Interesting. So that is my take on drugs. And is it for all kinds of drugs or are you mainly talking about marijuana right now? I mean, all kinds of drugs from like cocaine to heroin, etc. All of it. Meth. Okay. Okay. See, that may be where we defer because I don't know if that would See, be people wise. Are taking, are, people are taking it anyway. They are. But my thing is, if it's legal, how many people who normally would have avoided it will be like, okay, well, now it's legal. With like meth, I think that can kind of be circumvented coke. by adding like a lot of barriers, right? Like, for example, to take to buy marijuana, <laughs> like you can just go and buy, but to buy meth, you have to get like a special license, which is a bit complex to get. You have to like go somewhere, and you know, you you can make it a bit more complex where it's not as simple as going to the shop and buying it. But I do think that. Over the long run, it might actually end up being a better thing to just legalize it. Or at least I would be interested in trying out art. And I don't know if it will work, but we could designate like a small town or something where we could say, okay, it's legal in this town. Let's see if it works or not. <laughs> like, how does it, what happens in 10 years? Like, let's take a small country. Okay, let's take a small country where we can, like, let's take some, some small country like France. Let's make it legal in France and let then let's see what happens to the population of France. Do they all go like drug addicts or does it become like less of a problem? 
So our, our French I'm, listeners are like, you keep that idea to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares about French listeners. But <laughs> you know, it's so interesting that all these countries like France and Britain were so important back in the day. Like Mongolia was like the most important place. But now no one cares. I mean, all places like have their like era. Like what we were talking earlier about like social media is like sometimes you're hot, sometimes you're cold. I mean, for a while, like I heard Africa was like the king spot. Like that's where the wealth was, like the royal knowledge. Um, Wait, what time are you talking about? I have not heard of this time. There was this one um, guy. Let me see. I saw this documentary a long time ago about like, the world's richest man to ever, ever live was from Africa. I believe that, but I'm not sure if Africa was like a leader in philosophy and science and technology and civilization. Like they probably had like good times, but I think India and China were like at the top for like a while before the West caught up and before the Mongolians destroyed China and the Mughals and, you know, the invaders destroyed India. So I can't find the African guy's name right now, but it was one of these, like, niche YouTube channels that talks about a lot of these uh, cool moments from history. And um, this guy was apparently really rich. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I don't have the name at the moment. I mean, the main point is that, uh, like, everyone has this, like, hot and cold moment. But back to the drugs thing real quick. Um, I don't know, Harsh. I I think with the legalization, like, I would leave it at, like, weed and just alcohol. But I think when we're going too far with, like, coke, meth, and stuff, I think it's going to normalize a lot of this. Where nowadays, um, I, I think there's, like, a level of stigma that keeps people from doing too much um and with weed i mean it's capable of being legalized pretty easily because i mean there's a it helps with like chronic pain i I think the popular talk show host montel said that marijuana was what helped him like uh, during painful moments um with alcohol you can see the same thing about meth right i bet meth heads will say similar stuff like I was having migraines and then I started smoking meth. Or I don't know, injecting meth. How how does it work? Injecting meth and now I don't have migraines. You, you, I, I don't know where you draw the line. Hmm. I'm going to have to think about this because I, I don't know much about meth. All I know is because like negative stuff. Because the people stuff. who want marijuana legalized, like I can make the same arguments that you make against cocaine, against marijuana. There are a lot of athletes, Harsh, that um, smoke marijuana, and they say that I mean, it helps there them. There are a lot of athletes that also smoke, uh, they also take cocaine. They do take cocaine. Um, like a lot of party people also take cocaine. You, you see, you, you get my point, right? Like You can apply the same arguments to everything, everything. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to like say where to draw the line. Well, with marijuana, though, is it really like a drug? Because it's more so a plant. So uh, there are a lot of drugs which are made from plants. Are they not drugs? But I mean, like there's not. Um, they may have some plant like elements, but is it predominantly a plant like Coke? Like I'm pretty sure like what, like three percent is a plant if it's even plant at all. 
I mean, um, from I, so you could say like alcohol is made from plants, like wine is made from grapes. So is it not like a drug? I mean, it is right. A lot yeah. of things come from plants, and just because something is from plants or something is in nature, doesn't mean it's not harmful. Like I'm not saying marijuana is harmful, right? I have never smoked marijuana. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like attacking your like what you're saying doesn't add up. Like just because it's a plant doesn't mean it's like we we have to apply different rules to it. I think like research wise though, like um, I, I mean, there's like a lot of this scientific stuff out there. I I don't know like which one to take seriously, which one not. But I don't think marijuana like destroys as much parts of you as like coke or meth does because meth I agree is, with is you pre- there. predominantly like, chemical meth cocaine are like much more harmful to your body than marijuana okay much more harmful but where do you draw the line in the sense that at what point do you conclude that only this much harm is good and any more harm is bad for you or do you just say that if something is harmful it should be banned and in that case alcohol should be banned See, I could see like I could see more of a reason for alcohol being banned than marijuana. I agree with you there. I think they should both be banned. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I told you, I think marijuana should be legal because it makes everyone lazy as hell. And so you could you could uh, beat them. Yeah, it's like it makes con- less competition for me. But I do think that I would like to see a system where everything is legal, and I would like to see how it actually turns out. I don't know how it will turn out, but I would like to find out. I will say that it might actually not work out because China apparently had an opium crisis, right? Mm-hmm. So it might actually not work out well. I think they had to ban opium then. It's an interesting. Did- it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, like if you make a country, what laws should you keep and what laws shouldn't you keep? That's an interesting problem to think about. And countries like India, like India basically copied its constitution from Western countries. But many countries came up with it from scratch over a period of time. And a lot of these things we're still figuring out. Like we're figuring out what makes a country stable. So should these things be banned or not? It's mm-hmm. an interesting problem, isn't it? It is. It's the same thing with, uh, I mean, it's the same thing with these social media sites where, you know, when you're banning a certain comment from being made, uh, you could always make a case for like, well, if this comment is banned, why can't this uh, post be banned as well? And there's so much subjectivity involved because for me and you right now, like we're over here debating like what is really a drug and what should be legalized and what not. So I'm sure like a lot of these tech companies and these social media entrepreneurs are like well what is harmful and what is not yeah but i think these tech companies are way too leftist and i don't think they're asking what is harmful and what is not they basically have their own definition of how they want society to look like which is like extreme leftist utopia where everyone's transsexual or gay or something and 
you know if you say that if you say anything logical that's not allowed so but you never seen one of those similar question but they have like a different context but you never seen like those moments where they're like um they're calling like joe rogan like the conduit for right-wing propaganda so like even that the left not, that's well, no, mostly even the, these guys um, well what i'm saying is even even the left is like thinking like you know how like the right is thinking like oh well there's a clear left bias and i'm pretty sure like most social media companies know there's a left bias but still mm-hmm. like a lot of the people from the left are like there's a right-wing bias in this and this certain post like you should take that down so what i'm basically trying to say is like a lot of it's subjective so you remember how you were talking earlier about like a creating a constitution like these mm-hmm. guys these tech entrepreneurs nowadays in some ways are creating like a modern constitution of what's allowed and what's not and i wonder if they have like like how do they go about making their decisions yo harsh Arman, by the way do you do, know do, that do, countries without free speech tend to not do so well I would say that free speech is like a good axiom to have to be allowed to say whatever as long as it doesn't like incite violence upon someone else. Now okay so that part inciting violence don't you think like these tech entrepreneurs or whoever is in charge of these policies are like at one point as like okay this comment does this incite violence or not? No, if you're not sure it doesn't. Hmm okay I mean I think from our end we're capable of seeing that but if we're like managing like a company that has like thousands and thousands of users I think it'll become fuzzier to answer a question like that Arman I think that you're a very nice person and that you're giving them a lot of credit Okay so I'll give you an example okay I have a Telegram group with like 12000 people and every once in a while we'll have like a very disruptive member like we had this guy who would randomly ask people what's your cast and then he would start berating you if like you said like something that was like a lower casting and i had to remove this guy and every once in a while i had to remove someone etc so i definitely see that a large company like twitter with millions of users will have to have some policies to basically stop certain people from disrupting everyone else but there is a difference between stopping disruption and saying that certain ideas can't be expressed or certain things can't be said ever and that is a difference where these guys are no longer just ensuring the thing things work smoothly these guys are essentially pushing down their philosophy and their political views on you where if your views don't match with them you have to be silenced and if your views match with them then you can say it out loud as long as you want so if you can say anything pro lgbt pro leftist out loud but if you were saying something anti that then you're like not allowed on the platform like you're banned you're unpersoned you're fired from your job everything starts happening to you so i do think that these guys don't deserve the benefit of doubt i think that it would be a very naive thing to say these guys are making a mistake i think they they're doing it intentionally they know what they're doing and they are essentially trying to force people into their way of thinking hmm 
I can see that. Well, Harsh, I mean, this was a very eventful episode. Um, and um, a good episode, uh, to say the least. I mean, we talked about a variety of topics. Um, I think we both need to start getting going right now. Um, any final thoughts? Not for today. <laughs> Not well, for today. Please click be... like and subscribe, guys. The channel is super new, right? We moved the podcast from Arman's channel to this own new channel. So your like and your subscribe is really appreciated. It really helps us out. And we'll see you guys in the next episode, two weeks from now. Sounds good, folks. Uh, yep, go on, drop that like, subscribe. And thank you very much for joining the Unapologetic Truths podcast.